Older, energy-hungry buildings are bad for the environment, and they are a drain on portfolio values. But retrofits are costly, and they are challenging both from a technical standpoint and because these properties are already occupied by residents and businesses. Nevertheless, the U.S. won't reach its carbon neutrality goals without the commercial real estate industry making energy performance updates on a grand scale. I'm CPE Executive Editor Therese Fitzgerald. Welcome back to Sustainability Street, our podcast on the intersection of commercial real estate and the world we live in. For this episode, I interviewed Chris Gray, Chief Technology Officer of Renew Communities, which executes energy efficiency retrofits for parent company Taurus Investments. Gray joined Renew in March 2020 with a background in engineering and energy. Here's our discussion on the why and the how of energy retrofits. Chris, let's start from the beginning. Just how important are building energy retrofits to the U.S. achieving carbon neutrality by 2050? I see it as as one of the top three major components, right? You, you have buildings, you have transportation, and then you have the electricity generation itself. And those are the three main buckets of how we're going to achieve a, a carbon neutral energy future if we have a chance at all, right? And, and we've got millions of buildings out there that are consuming about 40% of the energy consumption in the United States. And that's just a tremendous number. And if we don't focus on buildings and very, very quickly, then we're going to have no chance of meeting that carbon neutral energy future. We already need to triple, if not quadruple, the rate of building retrofits. And that is an astonishing number. And to be able to ramp up an industry that quickly in the limited amount of time that we have, it's a sense of urgency that I'm not quite sure people are seeing. Absolutely. And uh, energy retrofits also, of course, play a role for investors in in terms of value retention and value growth. Can you talk about that? I think over the past decade, it's really been a focus of value growth. There's been this, uh, the green premium concept in the market where people build a brand new lead platinum building that is the, the shiniest building on the block. And that creates a a higher value. It creates a higher demand in the market where you can get higher rents for that building because it's the premier product on the market. I think what we're seeing is really a shift where there's expectations that all owners and operators focus on energy. And so we're starting to see the shift toward a brown discount, right? Not so much a green premium, but if you want to maintain the value of your building, you have to focus on energy efficiency to keep it from being obsolete from an energy perspective. If you fall too far behind the curve on energy efficiency, you're now going to have a reduction in value of your building because all of the investors are going to have to disclose their emissions. They're going to have to create climate disclosures. They're going to have to report their emissions. And if you're an energy hog, you drag down their portfolio, there's going to be a discount because someone's going to have to come in and do something about that. It's a process of not just establishing where you are now, but continuing this plan of continual improvement 
for the building to maintain that value from an energy perspective. Does it lead some owners to say, well, maybe then I'll just sell the building? Yeah, and I think that's an opportunity, quite frankly, that I'm looking forward to because I have a, a team of engineers that we're not real estate people, right? And that's one of the unique things about renewing communities being a subsidiary of Taurus Investment Holdings is we get to be the engineers. We get to be the in-house owner's representatives that are looking at a building completely different than the real estate team. We're looking at it from the perspective of what can we do to reduce the energy consumption of this building? What can we do to create an energy plan long-term for this building to make sure that it doesn't fall behind? And so we're going to look for those buildings that are being sold because they are energy hogs. And we're going to be looking for the opportunity to invest in those buildings and bring them up to current, if not better than current standards, so that it now has that premium value on the market from the energy standpoint. And it's an in-depth process, but it's it's one that we definitely see the opportunities coming down the road because people will just decide to sell rather than hold it for another three years and implement a retrofit. Yeah. And what are the key retrofit strategies? interesting thing is that it's different for every single building. Every building was built at a different time with different codes, different standards, different geographies. They have different systems in them. And so you really have to step back and look at each building individually. But when we do this, we step back and say, okay, where are the major opportunities? In an office building, you've got mechanical systems that consume a tremendous amount of energy. You've got lighting systems that consume a tremendous amount of energy. And so you really want to start there and look at where the opportunities are. When you look at a residential building, your envelope or your, your separation from indoors to outdoors is really your main driver that you want to start with. So it depends on the asset type. It depends on the, the location as to what we start with. But in general, we look at the mechanical systems, we look at the age of them, we look at how we can improve those, what are our options, we look at the envelope, the windows, doors, insulation levels, we look at the roofing types to see what we can do with those. In an ideal situation, you want to seal your envelope first, you want your separation from indoor-outdoor to be as good as possible. And then you really start to look at the mechanical systems, because if you reduce the amount of heat loss or heat gain through your envelope, then you reduce the amount of mechanical systems that you need and you can reduce that capital spend. But we look at the cheaper things like caulking to seal holes in the envelope. We look at uh, insulation first, and then we go inside to look at the mechanical systems. We try to eliminate fossil fuels in all situations. So if you have a, a gas furnace, we would want to replace that with an electric heat pump. And uh, heat pump technologies are, are really one of our key strategies because the technologies have advanced so much over the past two decades that you now have heat pumps that can provide the heating performance of a gas furnace, if not better. We have a project that we can talk more about, but we put in heat pumps to replace electric resistance baseboard heaters, it actually ended up with more heating capacity at negative temperatures than we would ever have with electric baseboards. So we try to electrify fossil combustion as much as possible. And then we obviously look at the lighting systems. We want LED everywhere to the extent possible. 
And then we start to step into things like appliance loads and other plug loads in an office building. You want to make sure to look at any type of data center loads or things that you can do with those major other systems. It becomes a matter of what you control as a landlord versus what you control with your tenants. And it becomes a conversation with those tenants in an office situation where you want them to be bought in as well. You want them to know that you as a building owner are doing the most responsible thing and you want to communicate that with them and help them find strategies to reduce energy consumption as well. So that's why it, it comes down to the building, its location, and the asset type is very important when we start to look at our strategies. Now, after we are complete with the building, right, we've looked at the exterior of the building, we've looked at the envelope, looked at mechanical systems, then you want to step back and say, okay, now what can I do with renewable energy on site? What can I do in each market to ensure that I'm making the best use of renewable energy? And that can come in a number of different forms, but uh, our primary approach is looking at on-site rooftop solar. And then you can go to look at other options with community solar programs, looking at renewable energy purchase through uh, utilities, et cetera. But we want to reduce the total grid energy consumption as much as possible. And that varies, I guess, market to market. Yeah, so it varies by state. It varies by utility. Even within the own, within uh, the same state, it can vary. It depends on the utility type. So publicly owned utilities that are regulated by public service commissions typically have better solar programs than, for example, local municipal utilities. But in other cases, municipalities and municipal utilities have more flexibility, so they can be easier and quicker to work with. Uh, so you really have to have local knowledge or do the local research for each individual location and then work directly with that particular utility because they all have different interconnection requirements and different programs to allow renewable energy. The bulk of Renew's projects so far have been in the multifamily sector. Can you talk about what energy retrofits mean for the housing market? Absolutely. So we started with multifamily and that's been our biggest growth sector for a number of different reasons. A lot of it comes down to the landlord control of the systems as well as the opportunity. A lot of multifamily housing has deferred maintenance where the landlord just wants to put in the most cost-effective equipment, I won't necessarily say cheapest, but the most cost-effective equipment at the time to get the unit back up and running and rentable, period. So that means you have not necessarily the most efficient equipment in place. You typically have things that have le or less lifespan with higher energy consumption because the tenant pays the bill. And so when we address multifamily housing, we're primarily addressing workforce housing. These are class B assets that have a, a, a decent amount of deferred maintenance. They are not the, the premier class A property. So there's a lot of opportunity for improvement. And, and again, it goes back to just the overall maintenance of the building and ensuring that you're doing those things like maintaining the envelope and then putting in the most efficient equipment that you can. And it provides a value not only to the landlord through improving their building and reducing their maintenance cost and reducing their maintenance reserves, but also to the tenant and ensuring that those tenants who are in class B housing, who are in workforce housing and aren't necessarily getting the, the class A property, they're getting a more comfortable environment. They're getting a 
healthier environment and they're getting a better community to live in. And we then try to take those messages and spread them not only through the community that we're working within from the multifamily community, but also to the local contractors, to the local area. Um, we try to spread the word of what we're doing to make sure that we are encouraging other people to do the same thing. And workforce housing or um, apartments in general have about a 33% higher energy bill per square foot than a single family home. Um, some of that's driven by the fact that you have this, all the same loads in a smaller square footage, but it's also because you have a lot of these aging multifamily properties with those less efficient systems in them that lead to higher energy consumption. The split incentive between landlords investing in good equipment and tenants benefiting from that good equipment is, is a very real issue that has to be overcome. And I think we're seeing the market drivers to help address that from utility incentive programs, federal incentive programs, the green premium or brown discount that we talked about. You know, it all creates this momentum to encourage landlords to invest in more efficient systems for their, and the tenants will ultimately benefit. And you talked about the challenge of doing these retrofits while the building is in service. Does that limit what an owner can do? I would love to say, no, it doesn't limit it, but yes, it does. There is a focus on reality that we have to bring to every retrofit that we do. In an ideal situation, I would completely vacate a property. I would come in and tear out the facade and put in a whole brand new facade and, and insulation, et cetera. But you can't do that without bankrupting a property, right? You have to, to bring this lens of reality. And that means that we have to plan our retrofits very carefully, whether it's an office building or a multifamily property, we know that there's going to be tenants there and we know that we have to minimize the disruption to tenants. So in multifamily, for example, that means we have to stage our implementation with a set of contractors that can perform their work in, in very specified chunks and they have to get it done the same day to make sure that unit is still occupiable by the tenant at the end of the day. Very similar in office buildings, right? You, you typically have mechanical systems that serve entire floors, if not wings of a building. And you have to make sure that downtime is considered. So you, you can't leave a building a week without heating and cooling. Uh, you can possibly have a weekend, though, where you can do a changeover. So you have to have redundant systems and then over a weekend change over to make sure that there's no interruption to tenants. After a short break, Chris Gray takes us inside one of Renew's retrofit projects. Hi, I'm Jessica Fior, Editor-in-Chief of Commercial Property Executive. And I'm here to spread the news about the premium content that you can receive in your inbox by subscribing to the CPE Daily Newsletter. Our experienced writers regularly put together special reports on the hottest topics in the industry, and you can get all these expert insights for free. To sign up, visit commercialsearch.com news today. Thank you. Chris, tell us about one of your multifamily projects. 
Absolutely. So we have properties from Phoenix to Orlando to Boston. So we're kind of all over the country. One of them that I'm most proud of is, is our flagship projects, uh, Southwinds Apartments in Fall River, Massachusetts. So that is a 1970s vintage class B multifamily property garden style, 404 units. It had electric baseboard heating. It had PTAC air conditioners or just kind of through the wall air conditioners, single pane aluminum windows and doors. It had very little insulation in the attic, pretty typical of that vintage property, but quite frankly, an energy hog. And so we implemented a retrofit over multiple years, again, in that staged procedure to make sure that we had minimal impact on the tenants. And we started with envelope improvements, right? We improved the attic insulation blowing in another six inches of cellulose, putting in more efficient exhaust fans, replacing all of the windows on the property with double pane vinyl windows, putting in double pane vinyl patio doors to really seal up that envelope. And then we started inside by removing the electric baseboard and the PTAC air conditioners and putting in new cold climate heat pumps. So again, those are heat pumps that are really designed for the cold New England climate. And those provided more heat output at negative five degrees than we would ever get out of electric baseboard. So the tenant's not only getting higher efficiency, they're getting better heating quality, more heating capacity out of those systems. We then put in energy monitoring system to allow the tenant to see their energy consumption in real time. And we then went outside and installed solar on every building on the property. So there's about 1.4 megawatts of solar on that property. All of that resulted in about 80% reduction of energy on that property. Very significant retrofit. Uh, you're expanding into commercial now. How do those differ? I touch on it a little bit, but commercial is different somewhat in the type of tenants that you have, the scale of tenants and the scale of building systems. So we have to make sure that we are providing heating and cooling at all times to much bigger spaces. So we're impacting multiple tenants um, when we touch a mechanical system versus an apartment where you typically have uh, unit by unit systems. The energy consumption of commercial is different as well. Lighting is one of the primary energy consumers of an office building, followed by mechanical systems. And then we have to focus on how do you control all of that. Uh, so our first step in an office building would be anything that's not LED, go in and, and retrofit that to an LED. That becomes a discussion with the tenants as well because of a tenant fit out, et cetera. Um, interfacing with the tenants, you have to make sure that you have access to the space and, and um, all of that. Then we look at the mechanical systems to determine where we can make those upgrades. A lot of time you have a central system that is just blowing toward VAV boxes in each of the different tenant spaces. So uh, those VAV boxes 
you don't really have a lot of opportunity for improvement of the efficiency on each one of those individually. So you have to step back and look more at the central systems, look at the central air handlers on a building, look at the chillers um, and make your improvements there, which means that our retrofits take longer for the mechanical system install because they're larger. We have to install them in parallel and then do that switchover. Uh, on a weekend, we have to make sure that we can swap from one mechanical system to another. And then you get to what's really impactful on commercial buildings is the controls, because you do have these major systems that are heavy energy consumers with a lot of distributed terminal units. And you want to make sure that it's controlled properly and getting that insight into where the energy is going is important. So we look at the control system of every building and you know, we still see a lot of pneumatics, which are, are you know, compared to modern digital controls, they're uh, not as efficient, they're not as accurate, not as reliable. You don't really have as much control. You have to run a compressor to operate them. You know, there's just a lot of opportunity to improve the overall performance of building just by getting a centralized control system. You know, instead of having thermostats for every rooftop unit spread out around a building, putting those all on one common control system gives you the ability to control it from one point, but also make sure that you don't have systems fighting each other. You don't have one space in heating, one space in cooling right next to each other. The building types differ in, in their mechanical systems and in their design and construction. And that sort of helps drive where we focus our renovation. There is some uncertainty still out there about office usage. And then if you combine that with rising interest rates and inflationary concerns, do you see that impacting retrofit decisions? Yeah, without question. And, you know, it's ultimately going to be a holistic evaluation of what's best for this building. Do I let it just continue to be an energy hog and then I'm going to take that penalty on exit? Do I continue to pay high maintenance costs and do I continue to let these systems limp along? Or do I make the investment in the building to maintain its efficiency, improve its efficiency, reduce my maintenance cost, improve my NOI in that manner, and then maintain the building on or maintain the value on exit? And so it's a very complicated analysis and, and one that I think requires your energy team to work hand in hand with your asset management team. I know our team daily talks to our asset managers about where they're planning on spending their capital, um, what our analysis is of, of the individual measure savings, and really creating that one-year to five-year plan about where capital is going to be spent. You know, interest rates are going to impact everything in our industry. It just it just does. And once people sort of recalibrate themselves to the current day interest rates, I think we will continue to focus on retrofits. We'll continue to focus on investing in the building because we've seen these types of interest rates before. And it didn't mean that we just stopped investing in our building. We stopped replacing mechanical systems. It's just a recalibration of expectation. But I think we are seeing more tailwinds for energy efficient from utility rebates from federal programs to incentivize investment in efficiency. And then the market itself is requiring that buildings maintain their efficiency level and that their emissions are within you know, certain reporting bounds, depending on which investor you're talking to. So those tailwinds will help push energy efficiency and maintain the momentum that we saw before interest rates started to spike. 
Speaking of tailwinds, do you think the Inflation Reduction Act will have an impact? The Inflation Reduction Act is a very complicated set of legislation, but it is extremely impactful. I'm still unpacking it myself, but the number of measures that the Inflation Reduction Act touch is just astronomical, right? It it touched each of those components that I mentioned earlier in our conversation, buildings, transportation, and the energy sector. And it's really a holistic view of what, you know, the government can do from a tax standpoint and, and grant standpoint, what they can do to really move the needle and make these monumental shifts in our energy future. So you have the investment in renewable energies, right? So not only renewable energy tax credits, but also the investment in manufacturing renewable energies here locally. That will create more competition. It will create better supply chains, more accessibility. You know, we're no longer having to wait on a ship of solar panels to come into the LA port to make sure that we can put them on our building. We have that locally. The focus on electric transportation and the electrification, not just of passenger vehicles, but of heavier vehicles, right? The uh, U.S. Postal Service electrifying their fleet, uh, electrifying school buses, electrifying these heavier vehicles that are made for hauling heavier cargo, you know, that creates the emphasis for better battery technology. And it creates this just cycle of R&D and development that improves the entire industry. You then have the other focus of energy efficiency directly in a building, right? And in some of the tax credits for investing in energy efficiency and improving the energy performance of a building, those were made easier. They were made higher tax rebate amounts. Um, but the like I said, the qualification of them was made easier. And then you get to investing in the energy sector itself and making sure that the, the transmission grid, for example, can handle the amount of renewable energy that's going to be needed in the, in the U.S. Because to move energy from one side of the country to another, which is going to be required to really enable renewable energy, creates a significant strain on the transmission network that we have to be ready for. And so the Inflation Reduction Act touched on each one of those components of uh, where we're going to need to invest to have a carbon-neutral energy future. And it is a tremendous piece of legislation that I absolutely think will impact every one of our lives in one way or another. What else do you think needs to happen to make retrofits more commonplace? I think more building owners need energy teams, right? It's, it's a complete shift in their mindset away from just how do I invest in this property so it looks better so that I can get higher rents to how do I invest in this property so that it performs better? So that it, it performs better, not just for my tenants, but for the environment. And to make sure that there is that emphasis in the analysis of a, of a real estate deal to invest in energy retrofits. And again, I think the requirements from investors and the requirements from the money managers will help drive that because operators are going to do what they have to do to keep a building leased and to maintain its value. If investors are requiring certain energy thresholds before they'll purchase a building or they're discounting a building because it's not hitting those thresholds, that will be the driver that you need for energy improvements, because that underwriting analysis will tell you where to put your gap. 
Okay. Okay, Chris, it's all very exciting. It's daunting as well. <laughs> you know, it is, but, uh, you, you know, that's why I went to engineering school was to make a difference. And I feel like I'm in the area and in the industry where I can really make a difference in the global future. Well, thank you. And thank you, listeners, for joining me on Sustainability Street. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, please email me at therese.fitzgerald at cpe-mhn.com. Bye for now. <music>